the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I was all ready to go. My earphones on. My microphone wasn't here, so that's why I was a little bit delayed. Hey, at my age, it's okay to be a little bit delayed. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything really that's on your heart, all you need to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and as always I remind you if you are driving in your car the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer hey we got a lot going on um, uh, tonight here at uh, church we're going to be teaching I'm going to be teaching First uh, Kings 23 the first 20 verses of that chapter, um, really the last godly king in Israel's history is Josiah. And as I've said um, many times during the study and a couple times on this program, Josiah is personally my favorite king. He was all about the word of God. He let the word of God first change his heart and then change the hearts of multiplied thousands of people. It didn't save Israel as a nation. But 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 one of the reasons I love Josiah is that though he's an Old Testament king, his uh, we would say ministry is really New Testament because he was going after individuals. He wanted to change behavior. He wanted people to serve the, the real God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And uh, he took a stand, and as a result, God blessed him with peace in his lifetime. Uh, But remember, this is the last godly king, and judgment is on its way. Uh, The end is near at this point. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com at 7 o'clock, or you can join us. We always have room on a Wednesday night, and we'd love to have you join us, get to see you face-to-face. Quick programming note, and I'll, I'll give you a little more detail. The end, uh, our programs Thursday and Friday will be rebroadcasts. And they're rebroadcast because I'm going to be in Houston. I'm speaking at a conference there, and uh, I want Paula to go with me. So we're going to be doing, normally we would take the uh, radio equipment up there, but we're not doing it this time. So uh, please uh, bear with us, and we'll be back live on the Monday program as usual. So I'll try to remind you of that again at the end of the program. Okay, it's Wednesday. We've got some people that have sent in questions, so let me get to those. Our first one is from Mike. He's a pastor on Please Clarify, or Maybe I Misunderstood. You had mentioned that God did not create us. We were born by the process of two people coming together. But when you said, oh, no, I'm sorry, but then you said that we were created to worship God. If God knew we weren't going to worship Him, then why were we created? I guess what I'm trying to understand, if God knows, why does he allow? Thank you. Mike, I think you're, I don't know, the the idea of being created by God is kind of mixed up in your mind, Uh, Mike. So it's real simple. We, We were created by God. The human race was. But God, and this is what I'm careful to say every time I talk about this, Mike, the only two people created directly by the hand of God were Adam and Eve. Everyone who is born since then were created in the natural process of procreation. A man uh, comes to his wife, she gets pregnant, she has a baby. That's the process. That's how we're created now. Uh, But it's not directly by the hand of God. Only Adam and Eve were created by the hand of God. That's really important. Uh, And when we understand that, Um, It it sort of separates things. Now, when I said we were created to worship him, that's a statement of purpose. It wasn't like God fashioned us and formed us individually by his hand. He did again with Adam. Adam is our federal head. But uh, the purpose for our lives is to worship God. So those are two completely separate things. And when somebody is um, not worshiping God, not serving God, well, then there's this, this um, you know, we like to metaphorically say it's a hole in the heart, um, but, but there's just this sort of aimlessness about life. Um, I think Solomon uh, had it right when he said in Ecclesiastes that everything apart from God is vanity or, or emptiness or chasing after the wind. There's just no purpose. And it's because we're not worshiping him that we don't find our reason, our purpose in life. I was watching something the other day and people were talking about the meaninglessness of life. You know, you get up and you go to work and you do this and you do that and and you look forward to the future, but then things in the world get worse and worse and worse. And it's like, I'm ready to throw up my hands. What's the purpose of living? Well, the reason they feel that kind of emptiness and that kind of frustration is because they're not doing what humans were created to do, and that's to worship our God. So those are two completely separate issues. Now, the third thing that you bring up is uh, if God understands 
that 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 there and certainly God knows that people are not going to serve him, not going to worship him. Why does he allow them to be born? Well, because God doesn't abort children. It's that simple. Um, you know, I've, I've had people say, well, if God knew my son wasn't going to serve him, why did he give him to? Well, because you had sex with a man and, and a son was born. And for that son's whole life, he, and the same thing is true with the daughter, of course, he or she had the opportunity to serve the Lord, and God was revealed to him, and they chose to reject him. And God will not interfere with that free will, and to expect that God is going to stop people from being created or born, well, that puts God in the position of Planned Parenthood, doesn't it? We don't want this baby, so we're just going to destroy this baby. No, God allows people to live, to enjoy. Um, Proverbs says that the the sun rises on the just and the unjust. God blesses people in this life. And Mike, there are people that have very productive and fruitful lives, uh, beneficial lives to the rest of of the world uh, who will never uh, be in heaven. I mean, I'm I'm glad that those people that God allowed them to be born, um, you know, the people that have done wonderful things, the people that have discovered these these scientific mysteries, they've they've answered the scientific mysteries. So I think it's really important that we understand God gives everybody life, and He gives them a chance to live it and make the right choices, but He doesn't force them to make the choice to serve God. If God did that, Mike, then we would not have free will. God, we, we actually wouldn't ever experience what love is because that would be God forcing us to love him. And that would turn us into nothing more than robots doing what God wants us to do. Instead, God has chosen from the beginning to give us a choice. You remember, even with Adam and Eve, who had no choice about how they were created or, or by whom they were created, uh, God gave them a choice. He blessed them abundantly. He put one tree in the middle of the garden, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up to that point, they don't only God. He gave them one tree and said, okay, Adam and Eve, now you have to choose. And we know they made the wrong choice. So the same thing is true for you, Mike, and the same thing is true for me. For 40 years, or nearly 40 years, I made all the wrong choices. My life was miserable and filled with pain. Not only that, but I caused pain to a lot of other people. The reality, however, is that once I found Jesus, and I guess more appropriately, he found me, then all of that changed in an instant, Mike. So God lets people be born because that's what procreation does. And then they have to make a choice. So I hope that clarifies it. Uh, Only two people were made directly by the hand of God, Adam and Eve. Uh, The rest of us were uh, created as a part of the process, the birthing process. And uh, and now we have to choose. And God does not keep people from being born just because he knows they're going to make the wrong choice. Certainly he knows the choices they're going to make. But everybody's entitled to life. Everybody's entitled to a choice. And uh, we're all better off for it. So, Mike, I hope that makes sense to you. Here's a question from our email inbox. This is from Reggie. He says, Pastor Ron, I agree with you, but (laughs) there's always uh, the buts. Why do we condemn prosperity teaching, concert-like worship with lights off and smoke, and mega churches that are telling people what they want to hear? 
After all, Apostle Paul mentions that as long as Jesus is being talked about, what does it matter how church process is being conducted? It's not like it's unbiblical. Um, Reggie, prosperity um, um, churches are, are decidedly unbiblical. It, it, they're lies and false teaching. Now, when Paul talks about uh, the, the, the people in Philippi, uh, actually in Macedonia, throughout the, the region, when he says to them, um, uh, uh, as long as Christ being preached, whether from good motive or, or bad, as long as Christ being preached, I rejoice. Uh, he's dealing with motive. He's not dealing with the message. But believe me, and you can read it through Paul's epistles, when there were false teachers preaching another gospel, they were anathema. They were accursed cut off from God, and he was very, very clear about it, Reggie, that those people were not serving the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, he said, if if anybody preaches to another gospel other than the one that I brought to you, let them be anathema or cut off from God. So that's why it matters. Now, the the other part of your question, the concert like worship, the lights and smoke, um, you know, that's like a, a worldly production. That's like going to a show in Vegas. So we condemn that because that's, that's just not of the Lord. So that's why we talk about it. I get questions about it. But false teaching has to be condemned, Reggie. I've said this on this program dozens of times. False hope is worse than no hope at all. And that's what happens in these prosperity churches. It's not like just because they're saying the name Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, that it's okay, because it's not. So Paul is very direct. Read all of the Bible, not just that part. Read all of Paul's letters and see how direct he is when it comes to dealing with false teaching. That's really, really important. Reggie, thank you very much. Let's go to line one. We've got a first-time caller, Rick. Rick, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Uh, My question is uh, where Jesus was talking to the Sadducees that were questioning the the, that didn't believe in resurrection and whose wife the, the woman would be after the seven brothers had married her. Mm-hmm. What, and he said that they, they erred in Scripture because they didn't know Scripture. What Scripture was he referring to that they didn't know? Well, he, uh, Rick, he was referring to, to the whole of the Scriptures. You know, the, the, the Sadducees believed in, they said, now this is their position, they believed only in the first five books of the Bible, Torah. They believed uh, in, in, in those first five books. But they didn't believe in in the miraculous. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead or afterlife. And so when Jesus said, well, you're coming to me, and he was really rebuking them for their hypocrisy, because here's what he's saying. You've got people standing before me, and they're asking him, whose wife is this woman going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus, he's a lot more polite than I am, I would have said, well, what do you care whose wife she's going to be? You don't even believe in a resurrection. But Jesus was simply pointing out their hypocrisy. So when he says, you do not know the scriptures, he's talking about all of the scriptures, the intent of the scriptures, and the, and the position of the scriptures. Uh, and Rick, that that's what he was referring to. And the Sadducees were famous for that kind of hypocrisy. And there was a couple of times, including this one, where Jesus pitted the Pharisees who did believe in the miraculous and who did believe in the resurrection against the Sadducees, even though both groups 
were uh, um, um, opposing him, he would pit them against them. And it seems like the only time the Pharisees and Sadducees could agree, the only thing they could agree upon was um, that they hated Jesus. They had to get rid of it, had to do something about the Jesus issue in, in Israel. So that's all it was, Rick. Does that answer your question? So, yeah, yeah. So there was no actually specific from the Old Testament script because, you know, he says, error not knowing scripture. Well, that means that, well, they did have the Torah and stuff back then, but that wouldn't have been in the scripture there. Yeah, well, I don't know what you mean by that wouldn't have been in the scripture. No, it wasn't. Well, it, the, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible uh, give lots of promises about uh, about eternal life, about the resurrection of the dead and examples of the resurrection of the dead as well. So he, he's simply saying that you, you may be reading the Bible, you may have the passages memorized, but you don't really understand at all what they say. Well, that that helped a lot because, like you say, I was a little stuck on that when I was. I was like, well, what scripture specifically, you know, where we go to so and so, and you yeah. know, and I, I was that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. I love it when we get a first time caller. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. This one comes from Thomas B. Thomas, from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. Genesis 11 tells how the descendants of Noah moved east into Shinar, where they built a city around a tower as a direct challenge to God and his authority. There God dispersed them. At the end of verse 31, it tells how Abraham and his family went from Ur. There's much debate about the location of the Tower of Babel, and yet today one of the most well-known ziggurats is that of Ur. That's a pyramid or the, the, the mausoleums, the, uh, the place where bodies were buried. Uh, and yet, as an archaeologist, I was taught that Ur could not have been the Tower of the Bible. Scholars outright reject that notion. But clearly, verse 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 31, is telling us that Abram and his family left Ur. Seems to me that Abram left with many others as a direct result of that dispersal and the confusion of their language. Therefore, the ziggurat of Ur is the Tower of Babel remaining after thousands of years for us to behold. Is this just another example of biblical denial of evidence that is profoundly obvious? Genesis is so amazing for its comprehensiveness and clarity. Uh, Thomas, in principle, now I, I agree with you, and I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit more about it in a moment. But but Genesis is Genesis is absolutely clear, and it is comprehensive. Now it doesn't tell the whole story, and I think that's one of the places that you are uh, kind of losing sight of here. Uh, let me read verse thirty-one in Genesis eleven. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah or Sarai the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Uh, And then this is talking about Terah's life. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. A couple of things here, um, uh, Thomas. First, um, Abram left Ur because God told him to. And he was supposed to leave just, he and his wife, they were supposed to go. Now, obviously, people traveled in families there. Uh, it was dangerous. But, but actually, Tara, 
um, going. You know, they, they were an idol-worshipping family. Terry, his father, was an idol worshiper. And uh, Abram wasted 13 years. It's referred to as the, the, the wasted 13 years of Abraham. And um, uh, Abram, in fact, um, um, wasted that time uh, because he was not being completely obedient to the Lord. He was told by God to take his family and go. Not all of the other people, they were just to go. And certainly was to separate from his idol-worshipping family members, and he didn't do that. But he left his home because God told him to. No other reason. There, there's no reference to the ziggurats or the pyramids or any physical location. Remember, um, when when uh, uh, the flood occurred, the topography of the world, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation about where, for instance, the Garden of, Garden of Eden is and where the Euphrates and Tigris, Tigris rivers uh, were, were in, in the original um, um, creation. Um, the, the point is we don't know because the topography of the earth was changed. So what we've got here is we, you've got a ziggurat that, that's there and that's clear, but but God didn't really say anything at all about um, settling there. He wasn't supposed to settle in Haran. He was supposed to, to continue going, following the Lord in the direction of God uh, until they arrived at, the, at their, their destination. And, and they simply didn't do that. So uh, it wasn't anything at all about um, um, leaving um, for any other reason. Um, uh, he didn't leave in the dispersion. Um, the dispersion happened sometime after Abram left, not because of that, but he left because uh, God told him to go. He had a plan for Abram, and Abram was taking that step of faith. Let me say this, too, because uh, I really like talking about Abram and his step of faith. Um, you know, Abram was an idol worshiper. Uh, that was his family. And, and you know, we know the New Testament says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, Jesus said, if you seek me, um, you, you'll, I'll be found by you. And, and Abram was just one of those guys, and, and you have to use your imagination, but I think it seems clear that Abram would go into their house where they had their little idols and stuff made, idols that would be fashioned out of stone or fashioned out of wood, and, and they would make offerings to those uh, idols, uh, sometimes animal sacrifices. And, and uh, Abram, at some point, God, God gave him this aching in his heart. It's the only way I can describe it. And I can imagine Abram in this place where the idols were, and he would say, there's got to be more than this. I mean, I made these idols. Why am I offering sacrifices? Why am I worshiping them? And it was at one of those points where maybe he cried out, God, you're out there, I know. And that's when God spoke to him. And he had to, to make a, de a decision. He's going to leave his old life behind and follow the call of God in his life. And he would go home and he would have to convince his wife, Sarai, that, that I heard God. She would say, well, which one? And he would say, no, 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 the real one. And he knew my name. Oh, those gods, those idols can't know your name. And, and he had been so transformed by that incident that um, when, when um, he shared that with Sarai, he convinced her to go. 
Now, what Abram, as I said, shouldn't have done is waited for his family. He should have separated. That's what he was called to do, to separate. And that's why it took him so long. Uh, the time wasted in Haran uh, was so long. So uh, I don't think the Bible says anything at all. I don't think it's uh, profoundly obvious. I don't think it's even slightly obvious that uh, the ziggurat of Ur uh, was the Tower of Babel. I don't think there's any connection there at all. Uh, and that's reading into what the Scripture says rather than simply attributing Abram's decision to leave Ur the Chaldees uh, to the call of God in his life. And there's nothing scripturally that would suggest otherwise. And certainly Abram, um, with the resources he had available to him, um, didn't have the, 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 the resources to build a Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is significant because it speaks of the rebellion of God. If you look closely at the narrative, uh, they were waterproofing the bricks. Now here's what the Tower of Babel represents. They were saying, uh, I know God promised never to, to, to destroy the world in a flood again, but we want to keep sinning. And just in case God changes his mind, remember, they had no concept of, of God like we have. In case God changes his mind and decides once again to, to judge the world through a flood, we're going to build a tower above the, the heavens. In other words, they're going to get high enough that they would be high over the waters of the flood and they could ride out a flood should God change his mind and decide to judge them. So that's what the Tower of Babel was. Uh, Nimrod and, and the others there, that there was just complete and utter rebellion against the Lord. Good question. Thank you very, very much, Thomas B. And I think that's the first time I've had a question for you. I love hearing that as well. Where are we on time? We've got just about one minute. I don't have time. Okay. Let me just uh, say a, a reminder again. Uh, we will not be live tomorrow, uh, the date day show, nor Friday, because I'll be out of town and we'll be doing, and, and normally Pastor Ken and May would fill in, but, but we're taking them with us on this trip. So uh, we will have a rebroadcast on Thursday and Friday. We thank you for your patience. And we will be back, uh, Lord willing, on Monday uh, regular to do our regularly scheduled live program. Um, 340-9585. We'd love your calls and questions. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Santa for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program we love your live calls 340-9585 that's area code 210-340-9585 now we don't have anybody waiting on the phone so i beg your indulgence for just a couple of minutes Today is our eldest son's, Paula's and mine, uh, 50th birthday. 
And Paul and I, we were walking and praying today and just giving thanks to God and remembering what it was like on that day. Uh, Paul, <laughs> we were so young. We had like nine dogs at home. And uh, Paula woke me up. She said, my water broke. And and I said, oh, okay. And, and, and Paula went back to sleep. I went back to sleep. Then she got up and took a shower because she didn't want to go to the hospital dirty, you know. So, so uh, you know, we're just kids. And we went to the hospital, Pomona, California, Pomona Valley Community Hospital. And uh, when Ronnie was born, um, back then it was uh, very new for the fathers to be able to go into the, the delivery room. And uh, we were in the delivery room. And uh, as soon as Ronnie came out of Paula, uh, immediately there was panic in the room. Panic in the room. And they pushed me out. I mean, literally, physically pushed me out. Now, I didn't know what was going on. Now, remember, Paula's not saved. I'm not saved. Uh, we're just kids. We're scared to death about having a baby. And and I'm on the outside uh, trying to look in to see what's going on. I really couldn't see. But I had this real conflict, emotional conflict. Uh, I'm pretty, I've always been logical, even even as a kid. And I'm thinking... I don't know this this baby, so why am I so upset? I mean, I was really fearful. I was really angry. I, I just, why am I upset? I don't even know this this child. Haven't ever held him or anything, and yet there was just this tension in my heart. What's going on? And of course, they they sent me home. Literally, they wouldn't let Paula call me. And during the night, uh, they got Ronnie breathing. And took him in uh, to Paula for a moment, and then took him took him back to the nursery. And uh, during the night, Paula heard uh, an announcement, uh, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it was something like um, um, uh, nursery stat. Um, and and it, Paula just knew it was it was the baby. Later. After they stabilized Ronnie, he, he turned black. There was a, a nurse there, and um, after after Ronnie was stabilized, this nurse came to Paula and said, "You know, I just had a feeling about that child, and so I stayed with him the whole night, and that's how he was saved." There, there was this this nurse who watched him because she had a feeling about him. So the nurse gave Paula her name, and uh, of course. I didn't get there until the next morning. I wasn't even aware that any of this happened. And uh, when we wanted to thank the nurse, we asked the people at the hospital. Um, th- this nurse sat with Paula and sat with, with Ronnie uh, all night long, and her name was, and we'd really like to thank her. Thank her. And they, they told Paula, point blank, we don't have anybody by that name on our nursing staff, and there was nobody with that name, but there was nobody at all sitting next to that child all night long. And we believe with all of our heart that God sent an angel to protect him. And uh, our baby boy turns 50 today. That tells you uh, how old we are. But uh, I got to talk to him today, wish him a happy birthday. Uh, He's doing great. He lives in Palm Desert, California. And he said, it's snowing all over Southern California. 
He said it's 40 degrees in Palm Desert with with crazy winds and storm, but he's doing well. Um, and uh, today, we're just grateful to God for the gift that he was. Boy, Paul and I, I'm telling you, we wouldn't have grown up. I promise you we would not have grown up if we hadn't had that child because um, we were just kind of busy doing our own thing. And I remember when, when we took him home finally, Paula really felt it was child abuse. Why are you sending this baby home with me? I don't know what to do. And it was just uh, kind of kids getting a, getting along and trying to figure out life. And uh, th- those two babies we had, Ronnie first and then Terry, uh, God really used them to sort of uh, help us get focused in on what it means to grow up and, and, uh, and try to be an adult. So, Paula, I know you're listening. Uh, thank you for giving me our children, and especially today we celebrate Ronnie's birthday. Okay, here's a question. This one is from Dolores. She says, my son is called to be a pastor. It's a very liberal seminary in our town, but I'm unsure if I should send him there. Is there another way to become a pastor? Dolores, do not send your son to a liberal seminary, period, End of statement. Do not. What he's going to learn there is that the Bible is not true, that there's really no such thing as a resurrection, that Jesus wasn't God, and and he's going to learn stuff that is going to destroy his calling to be a, a, a pastor. So very important. Don't by any means, send him to seminary. There are lots of other ways to be a pastor. And I went to Bible college, um, and I was under the mistaken notion that going to Bible college would increase my knowledge about the Bible. It did not. Um, if I look back, it's clear to me that God sent me to Bible college um, to, to put me in a place where I needed to be humbled. I, I was I was humbled. I needed to learn what true humility was. And suddenly I'm around at, at 42 years of age. I'm I'm uh, um, around a bunch of college-age kids, young kids coming out of high school. And you talk about being humbled. My goodness, I was humbled. And that was the reason I went. But I, I actually learned more about the Bible on my own than I did about that. So uh, we've got a lot of Calvary Chapel pastors as an example um, who never went to seminary. Um, they got filled with the Holy Spirit, called by God to be a pastor. God gave them the gift of teaching the Bible, the gift of love and compassion. And because he did, um, they have been very fruitful pastors for a very, very long time. So I would tell your son, Dolores, to love the Word of God, to devour it, to know it inside and out. Um, but, But at some point, He's going to have to make a decision about direction, but a liberal seminary is certainly not the way to do that. Thanks for the question. Pray for your son. Let's go to John online too. John from San Antonio, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Just want to say, first off, I love you and Paula. I appreciate your ministry there. Thank and you, John. I have a question about Matthew 10, verses 5, 6, and 7. And it's when they go out two by two, mm-hmm. and Jesus tells them to go not to the Gentiles and not to the Samaritans, 
but to the lost house of Israel. And then it says about the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And my question is, is he saying that because he hasn't died on the cross yet and the Gentiles aren't in it yet? Because if he hadn't died and they would have accepted him, maybe he could, maybe the kingdom would have came in at that time. Yes. You've got it right, John. First of all, uh, Jesus had a time schedule to keep. And his calling, remember, and Matthew is the most Jewish of all the Gospels. Uh, Matthew's purpose is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that's the people for whom Jesus came. Um, we're told he came to his own and his own received him not. Um, that's a Jew. His his ministry was entirely Jewish. The Jews were the focus of his ministry, not Samaritans and certainly not Gentiles. Uh, that was his ministry. Now, obviously, we know you can go to Acts chapter 10 and see that the Gentiles were always part of God's program. Um, he, he even told his disciples, I have sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, they're going to go out. Isaiah prophesied Gentile inclusion. But Jesus' ministry was targeted. It was very specific. And the rest of the, the, the world would not be open till the gospel until after the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when he sent them out two by two, uh, he's telling them where to go specifically um, that's the the purpose of this message, and and your message is simple: the kingdom of heaven is near, not here, but the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he gave them the authority, the power to do uh, miraculous things, drive out demons, um, and and uh, basically, uh, John, what he what he is doing there is simply saying this power will validate your message. And that was always, always, always the purpose of miracles, to validate the message of the messengers. Interesting side note on this. This is the passage of Scripture that Jesus uh, gave to me um, when um, we were planning our school uh, and, and, and thinking about the other ministries that God had given us vision for. Um, you know, what we do here at Calvary Chapel is is um, um, all the ministry we do is free. We don't charge for anything. In Matthew 10, 8, um, um, freely you have received, uh, freely give. That was what Jesus gave to me with clear directions. That's a, an example of God's living and active word. Um, it, it, the context is, is this is the message that you take to others. I gave it to you freely. Now you go give it to others freely. But Jesus is still doing that very same thing. And so that was sort of our marching orders in terms of of um, how we're supposed to do ministry here. You know, we, we were told by the Lord, I was told by the Lord, never let our needs be known, never to ask for money. Um, and uh, he challenged me to trust just him and him alone. And if he would do that, if we would do that, then the Lord would be in a in a position where um, we would be able to 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 God would provide for whatever it is that He asks us to do. Thank you, John. I appreciate it very very much. Anonymous question came in: Since COVID has happened and church functions have changed. 
how does Pastor Ron feel about uh, drive-through prayer or virtual church? And does Pastor Ron do that at his church? Anonymous, uh, we don't. We, 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 the Bible's really clear. And this is something we, we've got to be courageous. We have to make a decision. Are we going to do what people tell us or what God tells us? And are we going to let fear keep us from doing what God's asked us to do? Um, drive through prayer. I'm, I'm for any prayer. I'm for any prayer. We do not do drive through prayer, but but I, I'm I'm hesitant to 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 say any kind of prayer uh, is is wrong or or shouldn't be done. I think any time, uh, even if you're praying for a meal, uh, I think it's a, it's it's a good thing to do. But to stay away from church or to watch church online. Um, anonymous is is to misunderstand the command of God. So we let COVID change church functions. Many churches, our church has has grown. We we were only out for the nine weeks that that uh, um, we we were asked to before the governor said it's okay for us to start meeting again. And so we we just we simply didn't follow. The, the the protocols um we we had an outbreak of covid here at the church and um we had 53 people get it basically at the same time but we kept doing church not because we weren't concerned for people but because we were concerned that this was the time when people needed the most to be in fellowship uh, anonymous i've had uh, pastors tell me that their churches have never recovered since covid and people got used to watching church online. I call it church in pajamas. They got used to worshiping um, um, uh, in a lazy manner, uh, in an easy manner, which really isn't worship at all. And um, um, in this particular church I was in where the pastor was telling me that his church never recovered from COVID and they're down to one service. Um, everybody in that church, and I mean literally everybody, was wearing a mask long after masks were no longer required. Now, if somebody wants to wear a mask, that's between them and the Lord. That's okay. So I'm not making a comment about masks or not. This is not a political or social commentary. It simply indicates that we're still afraid and we're giving in to that fear. So I don't feel that it is healthy um, to, to, to have virtual church. Um, online, you can't use the gifts that God has given you to minister to others. Online, you're you're not in a corporate setting of worship. Online, um, while the Bible's being taught, it's the same Bible study. Uh, the dynamic of when two or more are gathered, um, he's here. Uh, Revelation chapter one says Jesus is in the midst of his churches, and when we are separating ourselves from the church, then we're the ones that are getting short circuited. We've had some people who came back late. Um, and I've been very aggressive about this. You need to be in church. God bless you. You're watching online, but you need to be in church. And um, uh, our, our church has rebounded completely. And in fact, because a lot of churches like uh, closed or, or, or did these things that you're describing um, during the time when when we were open, uh, they would come here and discover, hey, the, this is Bible being taught verse by verse. I've never experienced that before. And our church, Anonymous, has exploded. We have no more room for anybody on Sundays here. And um, um, I, I'm, I've been very, very aggressive about 
telling our church, exhorting them, you need to be in the body of Christ. And of course, there's always people, you don't care about people's health. Um, we're, we're just loving others or we're just being concerned about the health of others. Jesus told us what to do. Do not forsake the assembling together of the saints, period. And we need to be here. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. Um, you know, I've been through the book of, of uh, First and Second Kings, uh, especially Second Kings as we're getting closer to judgment. You see king after king, uh, even though even the ones who did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and this is, but they did not remove the high places. And Josiah, uh, not only did he remove the high places, he crushed them. And and he is, uh, of course, uh, singled out by God as being a king like no other king. So um, we've got to decide, um, are we going to serve the Lord? Are we going to give in to fear? And and so many people have given in to fear. Um, we love our people. We love them enough to tell them they need to be in church. And so that's what's going on. I hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. Here is a question from Jason. How do you reconcile the tension between Paul and James when it comes to being saved by grace versus works? There's no tension at all, Jason. You know, one of the things that frustrates me when I hear a pastor, he'll say, well, well, James uh, says this without without works. My faith is dead. So so obviously we have to work. That's to miss the point of James. What, what James is saying is that, that when you say you believe, there will be evidence that your believing is genuine by the things that you do, the fruit of the Spirit. We're not talking about going to church. We're not talking about the, the sacraments of the church. We're just talking about the work of God is to walk in the Spirit and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the works. That's the kind of fruit that God is looking for. And James isn't saying that if you don't work your way to heaven, then your faith isn't real. What he's saying is that that your faith is not real if there's no change in your life. Those are the works that he's talking about. Remember, Jason, the Bible has no contradictions. And Paul says we're saved by grace through faith and that the faith um, is a gift from God. It's not even something we can do on our own. That faith to believe is a gift from God. And and that's how we're saved. We're saved by grace, unmerited favor, through faith. Uh, James can't contradict that. If James contradicted that, then James would not be a book in our Bible, simply because it would be um, a, a, a contradiction. So um, James is simply saying, um, you show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by what I do. I talked a little bit about me being saved all those years ago, earlier in the week. Um, I changed instantly. When I met Jesus, I changed instantly. Now, I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't perfect. I mean, I, I still lied. and so, but, but literally everything in my life changed in an instant. And the change was radical. And and somebody can say, well, how do you know you're saved? Well, because I'm not who I used to be. And that's what James is referring to. So there's no tension at all between those um, those those epistles. Thank you, Jason, very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jackie. She says, 
I know I don't read the Bible enough, but it's hard. Is it wrong not to read more? Um, I don't know what you mean by wrong. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's you being ripped off. Um, I don't know what the cause is, Jackie. Is it spiritual laziness? Is it just, well, this is hard to understand. But you see, it's like anything else. Uh, I know if you've ever picked up a math book, uh, especially modern math, geometry, trigonometry, something like that, it's impossible just to pick it up and understand it. You've got to go back to the beginning. And you've got to sort of progress through the, the different areas of math, and you, you progress to where you understand more. Well, the Bible is the same thing. It's, it's just you're reading it, and it makes no sense because you don't have the background. But you've got to discipline yourself to read it. And as you read it, as you seek the Lord, then the Spirit of God will give you more insight into what it means and and what it means personally for you. It doesn't mean the truth changes for you and somebody else, but but how you utilize the Word of God in your day-to-day life. So it's very important that you read it. Don't feel guilty, but but you're, you're missing out. It's Jesus writing you a love letter. And he wants to convince you of how how much he loves you. You know, Jackie, I was in uh, San Francisco earlier this week, or last weekend, rather. And um, what I told him in in the Sunday message at the church I taught at, I I just said, those of you who take notes, please write this down. And I said, Jesus is crazy about you. That's what the Bible teaches you. It teaches you just how high and wide and deep and long his love for you is. It teaches you how valuable you are to God. And if you're not reading the Bible for whatever the reason, if it's spiritual laziness, you just need to discipline yourself. You're not a kid. You can discipline yourself. Um, I tell, especially in this day and age, I tell people, look, here's a good measure. Do you spend more time in your Bible or on your ta- on your phone, cell phone? And, and, of course, everybody goes, oh, because we all spend too much time on our phones. Now, I don't, so I'm okay with that. But, but um, the idea is, is we, can, we can sit and read anything anybody sends us via text or link or website or anything else. We, we'll read all day long. But then we'll say, well, I just can't read the Bible. It's too hard. You're just not making the effort. So it's it's bad for your spiritual health. I also say this, Jackie, and not to condemn you, so please don't take this personally, but I tell my church this, and I love my people so much. I tell them all the time that if they're not men and women who study their Bibles, they will be persuaded by the world, the propaganda of this world, they will be persuaded that things in this world that God says are not right are okay. It's just that simple. The Bible is what we have. That's our weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's our weapon to prepare us. Romans chapter 12 says that we can be transformed from the old us to the new us in Christ by the renewing of our minds. And the only way we can renew our minds is in the Word of God. You know, the world is assaulting your mind, trying to brainwash you, uh, and they're doing a good, job, a good job. We let them do it. Well, the antidote to that is the Word of God, the Bible. So, ask God for help. Ask God for help. Here's what I can promise you. If you will discipline yourself to read it, you'll soon be enthralled by it. And it'll no longer be hard to read. The Lord will speak to you. 
His words are life. And because his words are life, your heart will get so excited. You can't wait to read your Bibles. And, and, and you'll, you'll, it'll change everything about your life. And Jackie, there's no other source of change. No other source of change. So read it. Discipline yourself to do it. And it won't be too long before you'll get up and you say, oh, wait, where's my Bible? I can't wait to, to see what the Lord wants to say to me today. And you'll learn about the one who is a lover of your soul. You'll learn about the one who considered you so valuable that, that, that they emptied the vault of heaven just for you. When I got saved, I couldn't get enough. I know everybody doesn't have the ability to do this, but... I'd spend 8, 10, 12 hours a day digging into my Bible. Vanessa from San Antonio wanted to know what is the best audio version of the Bible uh, because I have vision issues. Well, I do too. Um, Vanessa, I would get the NIV, the 1984 NIV that is uh, the commentator or the, the narrator is Max McLean and you will love it and you'll love the voice. Hey, a quick reminder, we're not going to be live broadcast for the next two days. Be back on Monday. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. AM 630, The Word. Listen every... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.